welcome everybody. It's horse hide to cow hide, America's pastime. Featuring your host, Ricky Litwinkowicz. Welcome to Horse Hide to Cow Hide, America's Pastime. I am your host, Ricky Litwinkowicz, and we have a great show for you this week. Our guest speakers include Mark Braverman, the lifelong baseball fan, Bobby Guarente of Blackjack TV and I-95 Sports, as well as Enzo Pontrelli, our baseball historian. Let's not stand in that on-deck circle. Let's get to those great moments in baseball history. June 21st, 1950. Joe DiMaggio gets his 2,000th hit, a seventh-inning single off the Indians' Chick Peretti, as the Yankees win 8-2. DiMaggio joins Luke Appling and Wally Moses as the only active players with 2,000 or more hits. June 21st, 1964. On an unseasonably warm Father's Day, Phillies hurler Jim Bunning becomes the first modern pitcher to toss a no-hitter in both leagues when he throws a perfect game to beat the Mets 6-0. Gus Triandos also becomes the first catcher to handle a no-hitter in both leagues. Jim Bunning gets the ball now, walks back behind the rubber again, goes to the rising bag. On a hot, hot day at Chase Stadium the first day of summer. The pressure's been on him on every pitch of the ballgame because he knows what he's trying to achieve. The 2-2 pitch. He struck him out. It's a perfect game. The Phillies race out of the dugout. And they grab Jim Bunning. The Phillies are all around Jim Bunning. He has pitched a perfect game. They're slapping him on the back all around. And now he is coming slowly on over toward the dugout. Jim Bunning has pitched a perfect game. The first time it's been done in the National League since the year of 1880. The final totals of this ball game, the Philadelphia Phillies six runs on eight hits and no errors. The New York Mets no runs on no hits and no errors. The fans are up and chanting, we want Bunny. Well, I think they're gonna get him. Here's Jim Bunning coming out onto the field. Jim Bunning is coming out and listen to the ovation he's getting as he shakes hands with Ralph Tanner. And now his wife has come out of the stands. Here's Mrs. Bunning who has come out and here's a big kiss for Jim. That is his wife, who just came out of the stands. She came up from Philadelphia, and she's standing there beside him now. And there comes his daughter. On Father's Day, his daughter with a big kiss for Jim. June 21st, 1986. Bo Jackson, who had been drafted by the Royals in the fourth round, 105th overall, in the 1986 amateur draft, signs a three-year contract worth over just $1 million to play baseball with the Royals, the defending World Series champions. The Auburn Tiger running back, the recipient of the 1985 Heisman Trophy, will also play in the NFL with the LA Raiders. 
Unconventional is a fitting description of Bo Jackson, who burst onto the baseball scene in 1986, one year after winning the Heisman Trophy at Auburn. Bo brought a fresh approach to the game, which if you're listening, Bo, there's nothing wrong with. It was just that he had a way of doing things differently. So now he's reading a bubblegum comic. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe unconventional isn't the right word. What word would you use, Bo? One word, hustler. Bo Jackson coming on. There's a drive into left center field. Jackson on the run. He caught it! Can you believe it? He gives you all he got. You know, he's got a lot to give, so he... Just had to just sit back and just watch Bo just go to work. I'd call him Sir. Money. <laughs> He's God, as far as I'm concerned. Oh, Jackson on the run. Makes a diving catch. A tremendous play by Bo Jackson. I've known this guy for 26 years, and uh, nothing does faze me. Before we go any further, it was actually a privilege and an honor to have a clip for the first time ever on Horsehide to Cowhide with Mel Allen, the original narrator of This Week in Baseball. Let's get back to the show. June 22nd, 1984. In an emotional home plate ceremony before the Twins contest at the Metrodome, a letter of intent is signed by Calvin Griffith and his sister Thelma Hayes, ending the most extended family ownership of a team in baseball history. The franchise, initially based in Washington, D.C., and owned by the Griffiths since 1920, is sold to Carl Polad, a Minnesota banker. The franchise Calvin Griffith moved from Washington to Minnesota for the start of the 1961 season had been in his family since 1919. Under Calvin's ownership, the Twins won an American League pennant, a pair of division championships, and featured Hall of Famers through most of two decades. In a ceremony at the Metrodome, he sold the team to Carl Polak. I am committed and I am dedicated to make the Minnesota Twins not number four, not number three, not number two, but number one. On a night that signified the start of a new era of Twins baseball, the send-off for Calvin Griffith was filled with emotion. It was sad to see Calvin go because Calvin was an icon. He loved baseball. He's a great baseball man. And a lot of the guys on the team at that time were all, a lot of them were drafted by Calvin, scouted by Calvin, and, and watched by Calvin, signed by Calvin. But uh, it was a sad day. The sale of the Twins from Calvin Griffith to Carl Polad is number 18 on the countdown of the Minnesota Twins' top 100 Metrodome moments. 
June 22, 1993. On his final day as a professional baseball player, 45-year-old White Sox backstop Carlton Fisk catches his 2,226th game to surpass Bob Boone as the all-time leader. The original Pudge played the first 11 seasons in his 24-year Major League career with the Red Sox. And Carl Fisk behind the plate. Wow. Establishing a new record tonight for games caught. And Hawk, my knees are just hurting right now looking at him. You look at that 2,226 games caught Wimpy and it certainly is mind-boggling, I know. You played a long time in the big leagues. I only played nine years, but it felt like, you know, uh, it felt like almost a lifetime to me. So the longevity factor is certainly something that is, is very enviable to any athlete. But I'll tell you, it takes a special kind of guy because a lot of athletes don't want those kind of records. That's right. It's been a, a mental grind as much as it has been a physical grind. All right, we are ready to play some baseball here tonight as Carlton Fisk indeed will break the major league record for games caught. As center fielder David Hulse will lead it off. Sox coming in tied for the division lead with California and Kansas City. As here's Hulse hitting at 264, no homers, eight RBIs. And the first pitch as Carlton Fisk will take it, throw it out of play. And no man has ever caught more in the game of baseball. I guarantee you nobody's gotten a hit behind the plate more than Carlton has either. June 22nd, 1998. At Tropicana Field in St. Petersburg, the Marlins defeat the Devil Rays in an interleague contest 3-2. The Citrus Series contest marks the first time the two major league teams from Florida have faced one another in the regular season. June 22, 2002. Joe Girardi, the Cubs player rep, informs the Wrigley Field crowd of the postponement of the game with St. Louis due to the death of Cardinal right-hander Darryl Kyle. The 33-year-old starter, a victim of coronary disease found in his hotel room, becomes the first active major league player to pass away during the regular season since 1979 when Yankee captain Thurman Munson died practicing landing his plane. I thank you for your patience. Um, we regret to inform you because of a tragedy in the Cardinal family that the commissioner has canceled the game today. Thank you. June 23rd, 1963. The Colt 45's streak of 40 consecutive innings without scoring a run ends with Howie Goss's second inning RBI single in an 8-1 loss to Cincinnati at Crosley Field. Houston will immediately begin another scoreless streak of 30 innings before scoring again. June 23, 1971. In addition to hitting two home runs and driving in three runs, Rick Wise throws only 95 pitches to 28 batters to no-hit the Reds 4-0. The Phillies hurler will again hit two home runs in the same game this season against San Francisco in August. June 23, 1994. Mets reliever John Franco, 
earned his 253rd career save to break Dave Rigetti's record for the most saves by a left-hander. He pops it up. It's playable. Down the right field line. Orsalak calling for it and makes the grab for out number three. So the Mets coming back in the third game of this series and beating one of the best pitchers in baseball. A happy John Franco, Bobby Bonilla. The Mets congratulating one another on the field here at Fulton County Stadium where the Mets on the Modell scoreboard just beat the Braves final score. Mets 5, Braves 2. June 21st, 1994, Mets versus Braves. On this night, John Franco would get his 235th save for the New York Mets. He would surpass David Rigetti for the most saves by a left-hander. The Mets would come back to win the game in the eighth inning and scoring four runs. Completing the comeback, the Mets would win 5-2. John Franco went on, to have, went on to have an amazing career. He entered the Mets Hall of Fame in 2012. My brother and my father watching this game that night. I remember them both being very excited that their favorite pitcher, John Franco, just recorded the 235th save. This is Mark Brownman, and we'll see you real soon. This is Anto Pontrelli, contributor to Horsehide to Cowhide, America's Pastime. June 22, 1994. John Franco passes Dave Rigetti on career saves list. The Mets and Braves faced each other on a Wednesday night in Atlanta. The teams played the finale of a three-game series. Four runs in the eighth inning lifted the Mets to a 5-2 win. Braves starter Greg Maddox pitched the scoreless top of the first inning. In the bottom half, Roberto Kelly and Jeff Blaser led off with back-to-back -back home runs for a 2-0 Atlanta lead. Mets starter Pete Smith retired three of the next four batters and Jeff Kent doubled to begin the top of the second. Kent advanced to third base on Rico Bronia's ground out to shortstop Blauser. Tana Hunley went down on strikes, and a single by Ryan Thompson brought home Kent with the Mets' first run. Maddox retired Smith on an inning-ending grounder to second baseman Mark Lemke. Pete then set down the Braves in order in the bottom half. Maddox and Smith each pitch scoreless ball from the third inning to the seventh. During the five-inning stretch, no Mets player reached base while the Mets were limited to two singles and a pair of walks. Leading off the top of the eighth, Hudley singled to center field. Thompson followed with a single on which Hudley advanced to third base. Pinch hitter Sean Hare singled to score Hudley and tie the game. On Fernando Reyes' ensuing bunt, Maddox made an errant throw that allowed Thompson and Hare to come around and scored. Reyes advanced to third on the play, and the Mets had a 4-2 lead. Jose Vizcaino had a sacrifice fly to drive home Reyes for the fifth New York run of the game. Joe Orsolak grounded out to Blazer and a double by Bobby Mania followed. Maddox retired Kent on a fly ball to right fielder Dave Justice to win the inning. With two outs in the bottom half, Tony Tarasco singled off Mets reliever Mauro Gazzo 
Tarasco moved to third on Fred McGriff's double to left field. Gazzo then got Justice to fly out to left fielder Hare and finished off the inning. Maddox shut down the Mets in the top of the ninth. Mets reliever John Franco retired Javi Lopez on a line drive to shortstop Vizcaino to start the bottom half. Bill Picota flat out to Hare. Franco then set down Lemke on a game-ending fly ball to right fielder Orsalek. The Mets had a comeback victory to avoid a sweep of the series. John Franco would earn his 253rd career save, passing David Getty for most by a lefty. Franco would finish the strike-shortened season by leading the NL in saves with 30 and 7th in Cy Young voting. He would play 10 more years and accumulate a total of 424 career saves, currently fourth most all-time and two more than Billy Wagner, who has the second most saves by a lefty. I'm Mendel Bontrelli, contributor to Horsehide to Cowhide, America's pastime. June 23rd, 2008, a feat that hasn't happened in 37 years. He's one for eight. He got his base hit down in San Diego and sends a drive to deep right center field. That baby is going to be fly away. Get out the rye bread and mustard grandma. The Mariners first grand slam of the year comes from Felix Hernandez. My, oh my, unbelievable. How about that? Jumped on the first pitch. That's got to be the thrill of a lifetime. June 24th, 2008. The location is Shea Stadium. The event is Hernandez versus Santana. Two of the best pitchers in baseball to come out of the country of Venezuela. All is going well until the fourth inning. Hernandez comes up with the bases loaded. Santana's pitching. With me and my brother in the stands, we figured this is going to be an easy out. Wrong. Hernandez would hit a grand slam home run. It'd be the first time that any American League pitcher has hit a grand slam home run since 1971 of the Cleveland Indians. The Mets would never come back. Would never come back, and they wind up losing the game five to two. As I as I watched Hernandez hit the home run, I remember thinking to myself, "I can't believe I just watched an American League pitcher hit a home run in Shea Stadium." It's something I'm sure I'll never see again. It was exciting to watch. This has been Mark Braverman, and as always, we'll see you real soon. This is Enzo Pantrelli, contributor to Horsehide to Cowhide, America's Pastime. June 23, 2008. King Felix sent a grand slam off Johan. In a 5-2 interleague win over the Mets, Seattle's Felix Hernandez hit the first grand slam by an American League pitcher in 37 years. King Felix... One yard to the right with two outs in the second inning of fellow Venezuelan Johan Santana. The right-handed hitter's only a bat of the season. A few innings later, he was spiking his cap to the ground in frustration after being injured. Hernandez hit a stunning grand slam off Johan Santana, then departed with a sprained ankle before he could qualify for a win in the Seattle Mariners 5-2 victory over the New York Mets on Monday night. Facing a fellow ace from Venezuela, 
Hernandez connected off Santana 7-6 with two outs in the second inning to give Seattle a 4-0 lead. My approach? Just swing. I closed my eyes, said Hernandez. He figured it was his first home run since Little I was happy and I was thinking that's all I need, four runs. The opposite field shot to right center was the first home run by a pitcher in Mariners history and the first slam by an AL hitter since Cleveland's Steve Dunning went deep against Oakland's Diego Sigui on May 11, 1971, according to the Elias Sports Bureau. He had a pretty good swing, Santana said. The pitch was out of the strike zone. It was up like it was supposed to be, and all of a sudden the ball leaves the park. There's nothing you can do about it. Three innings later, Hernandez sprained his left ankle while covering home plate, and they run scoring wild pitch. Carlos Beltran slid hard into the feet of Fernandez, who left the game one out short of being eligible for a win. After trying a painful warm-up pitch, he had to be helped to the dugout by team trainers. Later, Beltran said he called Fernandez to check, him, check on him. It happened so fast, Beltran said. I wasn't really watching anything except home plate. After I watched the replay, I saw that he was blocking the plate and I caught him with my spikes. X-rays were negative and Hernandez expects to make his next schedule start. Sure, I'll be there, he said. One cockerone relieved Hernandez and worked one and one third of hitless innings. Ryan Rollins Smith, two and one, struck out three in two perfect innings. And Arthur Rhodes earned his first save since 2006 with Philadelphia. Beltron's RBI single of Sean Green cut it to 5-2 in the ninth before Rhodes fan Carl Stogato and Damien Isla with 2-1. Jose Lopez added a run-scoring single for the Mariners who improved to 12-25 on the road and 2-2 two two since manager Jim Riggleman replaced the fired John McLaren. The Mets fell to 3-3 three three under interim skipper Jerry Manuel who managed his first game at Chase Stadium since taking over when Willie Randolph was fired last week. We will definitely have to make some adjustments offensively, Manuel said. Santana allowed five runs, one earned, and seven hits in seven innings. It was his third loss in 16 starts with New York when giving up one earned run. The Mets have dropped his last four outings and the two-time Cy Young award winner is 0-3 in that span. I felt better tonight than I felt for the whole season, Santana said. We didn't execute the way we're supposed to. Just before Hernandez homered, an error by third baseman David Wright extended the second inning. Wright also grounded into an inning-ending double play and struck out looking. Manuel said Wright appears tired and won't start Tuesday night. Wright is the only major leaguer to play every inning this season, though he made one start as a designated hitter. Jerry knows the game. I'll get a blow and hopefully come back refreshed. In the second, the 6'3", 230-pound Hernandez took a healthy hack at the first pitch he saw from Santana and clapped his hands while rounding first base. The home run came in Hernandez's first plate appearance this season and made him 2 for 9 with five RBIs and six strikeouts in his major league career. We were also pumped up, Roland Smith said. 
His next time up, Hernandez dropped down a sacrifice bunt. I couldn't believe that. I'll have to talk to Ruggleman about it, Randall said. Why is this guy bunting? He just hit a home run. Hernandez threw 51 pitches in four and two-third innings. The 22-year-old right-hander who went to 4-0 with the old .95 ERA in his previous four starts allowed one run and two hits. The last NL pitcher to hit a grand slam also did it at Shea Stadium. Montreal Willis, then with Florida, accomplished the feat on July 7, 2006. Armando Pontrelli contributed to Horsehide to Cowhide, America's past. June 24th, 1955. In an 18-7 Washington loss to the Tigers, Senators third baseman Harmon Killebrew hits his first major league home run. The 18-year-old rookie who becomes known as Killer will finish his 22-year Hall of Fame career with 573 home runs. June 24th, 1970. In the last game played at Crosley Field, Lee May and Johnny Bench hit back-to-back home runs in the eighth inning to give the Reds a 5-4 win. After the game, home plate is presented to Mayor Eugene Ruhlman and is flown by helicopter to the Reds' new home, Riverfront Stadium. On the west side, the Reds and Old Crosley Field were winding down. The Reds played their last game there on June 24, 1970 and beat the San Francisco Giants 5-4. Just one of those things. It's been a great place. There's been a lot of memories here. First night game, first baseball game, a lot of good players. And I just hope that uh, we can accomplish the same thing with the new stadium when we move into it. All of us tonight share a feeling of nostalgia and great joy. Nostalgia because tonight marks the end of an era. An era in which Crosley Field played a significant part in the growth and development of a great city. Farewell, Crosley Field. Hello, Riverfront Stadium. Forward Cincinnati. And on Cincinnati Reds to a World Series championship. How do you feel about it being a historic figure, the last one to hit a home run in Crosley Field? Well, I tell you, uh, during the time, I, went, I had forgot all about it. it was the last game, and I got wrapped up, and uh, my main concern was helping winning the ball game, and uh, I'm just thrilled to death that the home run uh, won the ball game. But now that I know about it, I'm just another thrill uh, knowing that it was the last home run hit in this ballpark. A week later, Cincinnati opened the new Riverfront Stadium with an 8-2 loss to the Atlanta Braves. Hank Aaron, you may recall, hit the first home run. Two weeks after the stadium opened, Cincinnati hosted the All-Star game. The Nationals won it 5-4, and who could forget Pete Rose crashing into the catcher, Ray Fossey of Cleveland, with the winning run. Old Crosley Field was soon to be no more than a memory. It was demolished two years later. June 24th, 1992. Much to the protest of Yankees brass, Faye Vincent permanently suspends pitcher Steve Howe for repeated drug offenses after the authorities arrest the left-handed reliever for buying a gram of cocaine. In November, an arbitrator will overturn the lifetime ban, allowing the former Rookie of the Year to enjoy one of his best seasons when he saves 15 games with a 1.80 ERA for the Bronx Bombers in 1994. On June 21st, 1996, former lefty reliever Steve Howe made his final Major League Baseball appearance for the New York Yankees. 
to say that Steve Howe had the ultimate roller coaster career is an understatement. The hard throwing left hander was Rookie of the Year in 1980 for the Los Angeles Dodgers. The following season, 1981, he pitched the and saved the clinching game of the 1981 World Series, where, ironically, the Dodgers defeated the New York Yankees. And in 1982, Steve Howe was an all-star. However, as was very well chronicled, Howe had a history of alcohol and cocaine abuse, which led to his being suspended seven times by Major League Baseball. Howe pitched for four teams during his career, the aforementioned Los Angeles Dodgers, and short stints with the Minnesota Twins and Texas four Rangers. Years out of the game, former New York Yankees general manager Gene Stick Michael signed Howe to become a reliever for the Yankees in 1991, and he immediately began to pitch effectively for the Bronx Bombers. However, in 1992, he received a lifetime ban from the game for substance abuse. But he was reinstated on appeal and pitched great for the Yankees in 1994, his last true great season, where he had 15 saves and a 1.80 earned run average as the Yankees' closer. Don't forget, 1994 was the strike-shortened season, and, and the Yankees and the Montreal Expos were on a collision course to meet in that World Series. And 1994, thereabouts, is when the Yankees started to turn things around, of course, winning their first World Series again in 1996, Howe's last season. Howe finished with a win-loss record of 47-41, and 41, a 3.03 earned run average, with 328 strikeouts and 91 saves. Finally, Steve Howe proved once again that if you're a lefty pitcher who pitches effectively, you will get multiple chances to stick around the great game of Major League Baseball. June 26th, 1916. The Indians became the first Major League club to field a team with numbered uniforms when they take on Chicago at Cleveland's League Park. The use of large numerals on the player's left sleeve and corresponding scorecards lasts just a few weeks, and after a brief trial next season, the concept will be abandoned. June 26, 1944. At the polo grounds with over 50,000 fans looking on, the New York Major League teams face each other in a six-inning, three-team game. A team played consecutive innings against the other two teams, then sat out an inning to raise money for war bonds. The charity contest, billed as the tri-cornered baseball game, ends with the final score of Dodgers 5, Yankees 1, and Giants 0. June 26, 1961. Yogi Berra collects his 2,000th career hit all as a Bronx Bomber, in the Yankees' 8-6 victory over the Angels. A huge cake is rolled out in Wrigley Field in Los Angeles 
to celebrate the accomplishment. June 26th, 1985, an unexpected participant gets ejected. Presenting Wilbur Snap. Wilbur owned and operated a piano and organ store at 1230 Mitchell Boulevard for many years. Upon his retirement, he moved to Florida in 1978 and became a ballpark organist for the Phillies. On June 26, 1985, he was ejected from a game for playing three blind mice in response to what he thought was a bad call from the ump. The umpire pointed up to Snap, who was sitting at his organ behind first base, then thumbed him out of the game. That's it for this week's episode of Horsehide to Cowhide, America's Pastime. We thank Mark Braverman, the lifelong baseball fan, Enzo Pontrelli, our baseball historian, and Bobby Guarente of Blackjack Media and i95sportsnetwork.com for their commentary on this week's episode. All clips this week have been used under the Fair Usage Act. We'll still mention MLB Baseball, This Week in Baseball, Fox Sports, and more. Tune in next week for another edition of Horsehide to Cowhide, America's Pastime.